Welcome to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. If you're an entrepreneur and you're driven by your faith or want to be driven by your faith, then you're in the right place. This is a podcast brought to you by Faith Driven Entrepreneur. You can check us out at faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. This podcast doesn't exist without you, our community. Please send us any questions, any thoughts you have about how this podcast might better serve you, and any thoughts about or questions on being a faith-driven entrepreneur. For managers who want to get the most out of their direct reports, they need to understand themselves to begin with, then they need to understand the profile of each of their direct reports, and then they need to come up with a management plan to be able to develop that person's profile, to communicate with that person's profile, to lead that person's profile, to make sure that you provide for them the things that they need and that you empower them to be able to do the things that they're capable of doing. Welcome back to The Fate Driven Entrepreneur. This is William, one of your hosts, and it gives me an incredible pleasure to introduce a conversation today with Phil Olson and our very own Henry Kastner. Phil Olson is the president of Know Your Strengths, a full-service firm that specializes in the assessment of human capabilities and the matching of talent with task. Phil knows a lot about this. It's the number four pick in the NFL draft. He, along with his brother Merlin, were part of the fearsome foursome at the Los Angeles Rams, and he later played with the Buffalo Bills and the Denver Broncos. He's going to be sharing with us some of the leadership lessons he learned there and through his work at Know Your Strengths. He's also going to share some great anecdotes from legendary coaches such as Chuck Knox and John Wooden. It's going to be a great conversation. And as a personal aside, Phil's work has meant a lot to me personally. I would actually even say it changed the trajectory of my career and how I thought about my vocation. So to set expectations a little low, he pretty much changed my life in a lot of ways. And so I'm incredibly thankful to Phil. I'm incredibly excited for our audience that you get to hear about his work and what God's called him to do. So without further ado, I hand it over to conversation with Henry and Phil. Hope you enjoy. Phil, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Well, thanks for asking me, Henry. Glad to be here with you. This is the first time the podcast has ever been to Bozeman, Montana. <laughs> this, this is awesome. Not only the first time the podcast has been to Bozeman, but it's the first time we've had a former professional athlete on the podcast. And one of the things that most people wouldn't otherwise know is the fact that you once played in the NFL. And you were at one point in time, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were the number four draft pick in the 1970 NFL draft as a lineman, and that's almost unheard of. Yeah, well, it was a long time ago now, but I was fortunate to be able to play for nine years in the NFL and played with the Los Angeles Rams and Denver Broncos and finished my career in, in Buffalo and really had some very special memories. Had the opportunity to play alongside my older brother, Merlin Olson, with the Los Angeles Rams, and that was a very special time in our lives. And we actually have a younger brother, Oren Olson, that played with the Kansas City Chiefs and Baltimore Colts. And so in the middle 1970s, Henry, all three of us were playing. It's one of the few times in NFL history that three brothers were playing at the same time. And the four years I played together with Merlin with the Rams, it was the first and only time in NFL history that two brothers got to play side by side. Oh, that's awesome. That's so cool. This isn't this isn't sports talk radio, in case people are just <laughs> tuning in. One of the things that we have discovered at Sovereign's Capital, maybe later than we should, and to some degree we've always known that it's more important to invest in the person than the idea. But over the course of the last 18, 24 months, it's become clearer that it's the human interest, it's the talent in a company 
that really makes it succeed. And that it's not just at the leadership level, but it permeates throughout a culture. And that there's an art and a science to finding the right picks. And it's not just going ahead and hiring people based on a resume and whether you like them or whether you want to have a beer with them, but it's just really understanding who the corporate culture is that you have and who the person is that's coming in. And and so we've recently been really, in a heightened way, more excited about this. You've devoted a career to this. And so this isn't news to you. You've been doing this for decades. And what I want to be able to do in unpacking our time together is just understanding what you've learned over the course of time with the hope that an entrepreneur listening to this podcast can come away and just understand how important it is to know how valuable human talent is, and then to be better equipped at being able to identify it, equip it, empower it, manage it. And it comes in so many different flavors. And one of the things that you specialize in is being able to understand those different flavors and the different personality types, management styles, corporate cultures, and all of that. So I want to get into that with you. How do you get started specifically in coming alongside corporations and helping them identify the right talent and then onboarding them? Yeah, well, I think for me, it, it probably started soon after I got into the National Football League. I came out of college in 1970, had a degree in business and economics from Utah State University. And during the off season, and even during the season back then, we didn't make a lot of money playing football. So we always were looking for things to do. And so I'm kind of an innovative, entrepreneurial, visionary guy. And so I was drawn to either starting businesses or going to work for young businesses that needed help. And so there, very early on, I saw the importance of putting people in the right position, being able to use their strengths to enable them to succeed. And it was, you know, no different than what you see in in sports. I mean, a, a football coach or a basketball coach has to be able to put the right players on the floor or on the field at a particular point in time to be able to have the success that they're looking for. Well, it's the same thing in the world of business. You know, businessmen need to be able to understand what it takes for a person to be successful in a particular role. And so in the early years for me, I had a chance to see the importance of that. But at that time, we didn't have access to tools that would enable us to measure or to, you know, to quantify what does excellence look like? I mean, you knew it when you saw it, but it was hard to be able to really unpack that and to understand it. It wasn't until later in my career that I was introduced to assessment tools And I started to use them to try to give me a better sense of how a person was wired. What does their DNA look like? What are their natural talents and abilities? And for the last 15 years, we've been blessed to be able to have access to some assessment tools that are just absolutely amazing in terms of their ability to help us to understand what does excellence look like. So we can create job models for different positions and tell you the profile of the person most likely to be successful. And we can use those job models in screening candidates to find candidates that have the the DNA that you're looking for, the natural talents and abilities, so that then you can put someone into a position that they are well suited for and with a much higher probability for success. Tell me about the mistakes that you see entrepreneurs make when they go about hiring and adding to their team. Probably the biggest mistake that I see entrepreneurs make is they're not clear on what it is that they need. And because the role hasn't been clarified, because they don't understand 
exactly what's missing and what they need to find, and they don't know how to find somebody that has that DNA anyway, they tend to hire people that are wired a lot like they are. And, you know, this is one of the biggest mistakes, not just with entrepreneurs. I see this happen with businesses and companies all across the country, is that if you're in an interview and you ask a question of a candidate, Henry, and he answers, he or she answers the question just the same way that you'd answer the question, if you were asked that same question, our natural tendency is to say, you know, that person's brilliant. What are we doing here? Hire yeah, them. That's right. Which might be true if you're trying to hire somebody to do something that you would be very good at and that you'd want to do. But if you're trying to hire somebody to compliment you, to bring complementary talents and abilities and skills and competencies, the last thing that you might want to do is to hire somebody that's wired just like you. I mean, you think about your own strengths, realizing that you are wired to be an innovative, entrepreneurial, visionary guy. But you also know that you need people around you who can see the details, who have the ability to help you translate your visionary idea into a plan that can be executed on. And that's a totally different profile than the one that you have. Okay, so that's intuitive at one level, which is you don't want to have everybody looking like you if you have differentiation among jobs. But then the part that's kind of counterintuitive and goes against the grain, I think, for a lot of entrepreneurs is that means that Sometimes they're going to be hiring people that they may not want to go spend a weekend with or go on vacation with because they don't completely meld together. How does an entrepreneur think about hiring somebody who doesn't necessarily see eye to eye with them, where they wouldn't complete each other's sentences? How does an entrepreneur get the tools or have the right framework to think about systematically hiring for somebody who's going to be necessarily different than they are? Right. You know, I, I think that it, it starts with self-awareness. Mm-hmm. You know, Socrates said, know thyself. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lao Tzu and the art of war, sixth century, said it is wisdom to know oneself. It is enlightenment to know others. Mm-hmm. So what I believe is that we need to be able to understand ourselves because once we understand who we are, the self-awareness piece gives us the ability to relate to other people, to understand others. And this is one of the great challenges that that we face because we like to be with people who are like us. They're easy to talk to, they're easy to be around. But diversity and profiles, you know, is so important and because everyone is uniquely different. There are no two people that are exactly alike. So we have the opportunity to train and educate people on how to recognize, appreciate, and respect the profiles of others, especially those who are wired in a different way than we are. What are some profiles and what are some things that you want to be seen in, say, the guy who's running your operations or the guy who's running your marketing? We now know that those people may be different than we are, but what should we be looking for? I mean, I think that it depends on the the situation and the circumstances. It starts with the individual about what are they able to do and what are the what are the areas that they need help with? So we take people through a process. It's a seven step process of trying to help them understand before we want them to hire anyone. We want them to start at the beginning. So we want to lay the foundation by taking them through a, a process of what we call role clarification so that we find alignment 
And what are you looking for someone else to do? I mean, one of the biggest mistakes that entrepreneurs or, or companies make is that they hire too quickly. They want to go right to the street because they, oh, I've heard about this guy. Yeah, he's a friend of a friend of an uncle of a friend, and, and I think he'll do a great job. They don't even know what they want done, let alone know anything about the person. So we believe that it has to start with laying the foundation by driving towards alignment inside organizations around role clarity. Because, I mean, you know what it's like when you look at some of the portfolio companies you work with, different people inside that organization have different expectations of people in these individual roles. And if you hire somebody and bring them into your organization where you don't have alignment on the expectations of that person in the role, you are setting them up for failure. So we spend a lot of time on the front end getting companies to talk about what is it that you want this person to do? What is the role? And making sure that the expectations are aligned before we even get into the job modeling process, which will lead us to go and find a candidate who has the right DNA to perform successfully in the role. Okay, so now I want to come back to the people that are on our team. So we now know that there are a number of different types of profiles that a person has. There are different measures. Everybody has four elements of these cornerstone traits, but each one has a different amount. So I'm a sales manager or I'm an operations manager. There are 10 people on my team. I should expect that while there may be some similarities and some commonalities in those profile types, there are going to be some differences too. So I'm inclined as a manager to manage the way that I've always managed. It's just how I manage, and it's either by scorecard or it's not. Help me to understand that now that I have the profiles of my team members in place, Um, what do you do to manage somebody who's highly dominant, different, and somebody who's more pace-oriented? What does that look like? That's a great question, and that's a big part of the work that we do. And I think that to give you a, a little story, a few years ago, I had the opportunity to spend a day with Coach John Wooden from UCLA. He had heard about the work that I was doing and had an opportunity to go and spend a day with him in Southern California. And we spent about six hours sitting in his little den, you know, about three feet apart, talking about these very kinds of things because of the similarities between what he did as a coach and what we do in helping people to understand their natural talents and abilities. And it was fascinating to see the parallel. I mean, most of the things that we do now and with the help of these assessment tools, Coach Wooden did intuitively or instinctively. So we talked a lot about his players. And, you know, one of the things he told me was, he said, you know, Phil, I don't think I ever had my best five players on the court at the same time. And I said, oh, really? I said, Coach, why was that? And he said, because they wouldn't play well together. They wouldn't play well together. He said, I had to make a decision about which players to put on the court at any particular point in the game who would play well together and give us what we needed to have done. And he said, in fact, there are players to this day that hate me because they think I ended their aspirations for an NBA career because I wouldn't let them play. So they came to us. All of them had lots of talent, lots of ability, but a lot of them weren't willing to contribute all they had to the success of the team. They were more concerned with what was in it for them. So he said, I would every year, the first practice, he said, I would tell all my players the same thing. 
if you're willing to give all you have to help this team be successful, you'll be on the court playing. If that's difficult for you to do, you'll be on the bench watching the game with me. So to bring that full circle back to what that means in the workplace, it means that a manager has to be able to adapt the way they manage to fit the profile of each of their direct reports. And Coach Wooden spoke at length about this, about having to have a plan, a coaching plan for each of his players. In fact, he had a notebook for each of his players. He opened his, he had a roll top desk, beautiful old roll top desk, and he opened a drawer and he took out a few of these notebooks that he had. Each one of his players that played for him, he had a notebook and he would keep notes on that player. And he had a plan for the development of that player. He called it plussy. So every, uh, every day he wanted to work uh, on that player on one thing to help that player be successful. Every day, one thing during the course of the season. And it was remarkable to see how that program worked. And obviously, Coach Wooden is arguably one of the greatest coaches of all time. Ten national championships and just unbelievable the records that he set while he was at UCLA. But for managers who want to get the most out of their direct reports, they need to understand themselves to begin with. Then they need to understand the profile of each of their direct reports. And then they need to come up with a management plan to be able to develop that person's profile, to communicate with that person's profile, to lead that person's profile, to make sure that you provide for them the things that they need and that you empower them to be able to do the things that they're capable of doing. So I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall with the conversation with you, Coach Wood, and he's a hero of mine. That's awesome. That must have been one of the coolest things that's happened to you in your career. Tell me, now that you've done this as a career, you have a chance to reflect back on all the coaches you've had at different levels of football, all the way up to the NFL. Tell me about a coach that you had that you really got along with that was able to understand how to motivate you and get the best out of you. And why was that the case? Well, again, great question, Henry. And it's an easy one for me to answer. The best coach that I ever played for, well, I actually had two outstanding coaches, but the best coach that I ever played for was Chuck Knox. And I got to play for him twice, once with the LA Rams and once with the Buffalo Bills. And there were a number of things about Coach Knox that just were extraordinary. But one, he had this ability to understand his players, the uniqueness of his players. He knew what he wanted to do. So he had a very specific goal and objective and a plan. He knew how to do what he wanted to do. And he had the ability to look inside of a player and see if that player had the essential attributes that he was looking for. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that he did, in fact, I've written a piece that I'll send you about Coach Knox, because I call it the Chuck Knox development process. I mean, he would meet with all of the players once the team was made. And he knew a lot about most of the players before the team was made. But once the team was made, he would meet with each one of the players. And back then, they would bring in 150 players for 45 jobs. So two-thirds of the players that were there on day one are going to be gone when they announce the final roster. But when that 43-man roster was established, he would bring all of us in. 
he would sit you down one at a time and he would basically paint the picture for the role that he had in store for you that year. And he wanted you to know exactly what he wanted you to do. He wanted to find out, can you do this? Are you up for this? I mean, he wanted to get buy-in from you. And that was remarkable that he knew that much about what he wanted to do. And he had the ability to see those attributes and to put somebody in that role. One of the other things that he did, which was remarkable to me, never badmouthed his players in front of the players or to the media. Now, if he had a problem with you, he'd bring you in his office and he could tear your head off. But he would not embarrass you in front of other players. He would not embarrass you in the media. And I always, the players always respected him because of that. During the course of the game, I don't know how, he's one of the few coaches I've ever seen that had the ability to watch 11 players simultaneously. You'd come off the field and he was there. If you just did something really well or if you made a mistake, he was right there. And he would connect with you and communicate with you. But he believed in us. And that, to me, was one of the most remarkable pieces of Chuck Knox. He believed in his players. You played sports. You know what it's like when a coach believes in you and has confidence in you. And you probably, maybe you've experienced this, hopefully not, but if you ever experienced a coach who gave up on you or a coach who didn't have confidence in your ability or a coach who was afraid to put you in the game, I mean, that just destroys a player's ability to perform. Did you get a Uh, sense that he knew how to coach and manage players differently based on who they were? Absolutely. Absolutely. Every one of the players were so different. He knew how to coach, uh, but like Coach Wooden, he had a plan. He had a program. And if you weren't willing to submit everything you had to that, you weren't going to be on the team. Yeah. And the accountability that was there, I think, is one of the parallels for successful business. I mean, after every game, people who are watching, they would see Chuck Knox run off the field and run up the tunnel. And everybody wanted to, where's he going? (laughs) And well, we knew where he was going. He wanted to be the first person at the locker room door. No player, no coach got into that locker room without seeing Coach Knox at the locker room door. And his eyes would meet yours. A lot of times he didn't have to say a lot. His eyes communicated a thousand words. And and you just knew that if you hadn't given everything you had to give, your worst nightmare was going to be to see Coach Knox at the locker room door. Wow. That's awesome. That's awesome. So one of the things I'm picking up from that, is that would apply from Coach Wooden and Coach Knox into the lives of every entrepreneur is being able to manage people in a uniform process and saying, I want complete commitment to this mission in this organization. I want all that you have. And then that coach endeavoring to understand with that as table stakes, that as being the baseline of what they expected from each person, then endeavoring to understand how they could get the best out of everybody, how they could help them to do that once they were fully committed. If they weren't fully committed, it didn't matter. But if they're fully committed, then undoubtedly people needed to be managed and motivated differently. But that was the first thing they expected. And I think that that applies for every organization where a leader is listening to this on on the conversation. I want to ask you some personal things. You know, one of the unique 
parts of the podcast is we talk to faith-driven leaders, people who are serious about their Christian faith. And as I talk to you, I want to hear a little bit more about how your faith works its way out in your life. But I'm also wondering for the first time as I talk to you on this podcast about whether you see some management lessons in Scripture. Yeah, and that's a great question. Uh, and thanks for asking that. But before I leave that last thing about Chuck Knox and Coach Wooden, what I wanted to say is that the thing that made them remarkable is they knew where they were going. They knew what they were doing. So if you wanted to come alongside of that, that was great. And I think that the lesson for entrepreneurs out there is that if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Okay? Mm -hmm. Any road will take you there. You need to know where you're going. I think that that's a great transition into my faith walk because that is the piece that God brought into my life as I came to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior in 1972 is that all of a sudden, I had a destination that was far greater than my career in sports. So uh, this has been absolutely awesome. I could go on and on and on. Before we go, one of the things we try to get a, a feeling for, for from our guests is what they're reading. What are the things that they're seeing going on right now that are influences in their life that are either helping them think through business or helping them in their spiritual life? What's making an impact on you right now? I like to read about people who have had success. So I read a lot about world leaders. I read a lot about global exploration. I read a lot about Navy SEALs. I read a lot about men and women of history who have done remarkable things because I think there's so much that we can learn from them. So I read the Wall Street Journal and the Harvard Business Review, and I read a lot of the same things that you do. I like to read my Bible. You know, I'm very involved with Bible Study Fellowship. I think that it's very important that we have a balance in what we're taking in. But I would encourage the listeners out there to spend their time studying people whose lives have made a difference. As I'm a big believer that the great men and women of history are remembered not for what they owned or what they earned. They are remembered for what they gave their lives to achieve. Uh, This has been great to be with you, Phil. I learn a lot. I always do when I talk to you. And I'm really grateful that the audience gets a chance to to tap into some of the passion you have. And particularly just as they look to learn to understand how important finding the right people are, understanding that every one of us is created in the image of God on one hand and yet completely differently on the other. And that there's some uniformities for management and hiring, and yet there's some specificity to different positions that we'd like to hire and roles we'd like to fill on our team. So thank you for your time. We kept you much longer than I thought I would, but I'm really grateful for it. And I look forward to the next time we talk. Well, thank you, Henry. It's always a pleasure. I love seeing the impact that you're having where you are and what you're doing with the talents and abilities that God has, has given you. And so, you know, God bless you for what you're doing. And thank you so much for including me in your podcast. Thank you so much for joining us for today's show. We are very grateful for the opportunity to serve the larger faith-driven entrepreneur community. We derive great joy from interacting with many of you, and it has been extraordinarily rewarding to see people come into the site and the podcast now from more than 100 countries. That's right, 100. It's very important to us, of course, to make sure that we hear from you. So our hope is that you'll feel as if this is your show and that you'll help make it something that best equips you for your entrepreneurial journey, one that you're proud of 
and you want to share with others. To do that, please visit faithdrivenentrepreneur.org backslash survey and share with us your feedback. You know, this podcast, it wouldn't be possible without the help from many of our friends. Executive producer Justin Foreman, program directors Nicole Dickens and Adora Jones. Music by Carl Cadwell, and you can hear more of his work at summerdregs.com. Audio and editing by Richard Barley of Cornerstone Church in San Francisco. Thank you.